Good evening. I'm Pastor Michael Walther from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, and this is our Friday evening Bible study for April the 2nd. Tonight I want to talk about the question or the teaching of Christian perfectionism. Some people might be thinking, what in the world is that? I don't think anybody, I've never heard of anybody who believed in that, but you'd be surprised. The roots and the implications of that teaching are very uh, deep and, and, and widespread. I first uh, came across this, I guess, in real life when I was a guest on a radio program at KFUO Radio in St. Louis, Christian radio station. I encourage you to listen to it. If you live in the St. Louis area, of course, you can tune in to AM 8850, but otherwise you can listen to it online. They have a lot of great Bible studies. Anyway, uh, Years ago, there used to be a lady. I don't know if she's still around in St. Louis or if she still calls in, but her name was Kathy. And uh, Kathy would tell us that, that she had stopped sinning. She didn't sin anymore. And uh, she really believed this, but I think she also called in to tell us this every now and then just to get us uh, worked up because for Lutherans, uh, such a statement is so... Um, contrary to everything that that we believe. Uh, we come to church every Sunday and our services begin with a confession of sin. And we, we say things like, I, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you. We talk about uh, our inability to free ourselves from our sinful condition. So we take uh, a completely 180 degree opposite uh, approach to this. Uh, we, we believe that, that we are always uh, struggling in sin. Martin Luther uh, stressed this phrase, which became very controversial. He said, we are at the same time saints and sinners. And that's a paradox that we'll wrestle with in this Bible study tonight. So when we come to the end of it, though, I want to address four concerns and I will just briefly present those now, and then we'll look at them a little bit more at the end. Uh, first of all, there's always in this question a problem of uh, understanding what sin is and how do we define sin. Those who teach perfectionism of some kind always uh, have a tendency to, to categorize sins and discount certain sins and things like that. Uh, I mean, it's easier to become perfect if you lower the bar of what perfection really means. So that, that's a big thing. Uh, the second thing is that this doctrine, or, or even just the, the, the little bit of this doctrine, can lead us to pursuing uh, good works and holiness for the wrong reasons. A third problem with it is that it, it can really lead to a serious misunderstanding of, of what forgiveness really is. I mean, what does it mean to say our sins are forgiven or that we are saved? Uh, so we'll talk about that. That's, that's very serious. And then this last one, which is really serious, especially for all of us of the Lutheran Confession of Faith, and that is uh, sometimes we overreact to this doctrine and we don't make holiness our goal in this life. And that's a problem that we need to talk about a little bit. So who teaches this? Well, this doctrine is part of Catholicism. It's a part of Methodism in particular. We'll be looking at the two different angles uh, of that. Uh, so in uh, Roman Catholicism, in the Council of Trent, 
this is uh, the council that was held after Martin Luther and uh, in 1543 to try to address some of the issues that Luther raised. Uh, he wanted this council in his own lifetime, but it never happened. And in that, uh, in that council, particularly in session number six, canon number 11, which is probably the most problematic statement that the Catholic Church has ever made and uh, continues to abide by, and uh, the one that, that Lutherans still say is very, very uh, disconcerting and needs to be addressed. So the, the, the uh, canon basically says that if you say that you are forgiven or justified by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ, that is Jesus' life for your life, as Peter says, the just for the unjust, to the exclusion of grace and the charity, the charity, love, the love that is poured forth in their hearts, then you are cursed. So if you say that you're saved by uh, the righteousness of Christ and that your good works uh, aren't part of that formula of salvation, then you are accursed, anathema. So that, that's a really serious thing. And, uh, and, and that's where we get this whole uh, doctrine of, of uh, uh, needing to do works of restitution and things like that, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, in a little more detail. The other one is John Wesley, and you can read his uh, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. This was a writing that came about from a period of years, 1725 to 1777. As he began to teach this and to teach it among those who would be leaders uh, in the Methodism uh, movement. Uh, and basically, uh, Wesley was really saying um, that God has called us to love him. Uh, as Jesus says in the first great commandment, Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And, and so he, he, he began to teach that we have to reach this, this goal before we die, where we, we uh, have perfect love, and if we have perfect love, then we won't have sin, we won't be sinning anymore. And I'll show you some of the Bible passages that he drew from uh, for that in, uh, well, next. Let's take a look at that. Uh, so uh, a, an important passage for Wesley would be the Sermon on the Mount uh, statement of Jesus in Matthew 5. And I'm going to use the King James because that's what he used. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there you go, perfection. We need to have this, this is, and this is a, this is something both uh, Wesley and Wesley did, and also the the, the uh, medieval Catholics, you know, basically said God doesn't give a command that that He doesn't uh, you know expect to be fulfilled, and uh, we, we would support that to a certain point. But how it gets fulfilled is where the disagreement arises. Uh, another passage that Wesley would draw from heavily is First John chapter four verse eighteen. Uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Perfection. We have to have perfect love. First uh, John 3, verse 8. Another passage he uses is this one. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So if Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and sinning is a work of the devil, then sinning should be destroyed. Uh, we should stop sinning. And that's what we get in the very next verse, 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. All right, so these would be the main passages, especially that John Wesley used to develop this, this uh, doctrine of Christian perfectionism. And uh, Wesley would say that this is something that we, he, he's not denying forgiveness at all, uh, but he's saying this is a goal that is achievable before you die. You have to achieve it, in fact, before you die. Well, why would Lutherans object to these teachings? Well, let's take a look at some other Bible passages. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, in 3, 9, John said, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. But in 1, 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So how do you put those two thoughts together? The best way to put them together is this, that in the Greek language, the present tense always refers to something that's ongoing. So when John says that we do not sin, what he's, what he's really saying in the Greek language there is we don't continue in these sins. We don't do them without repentance, without bringing them to the blood of Christ for forgiveness. Uh, we're not dominated. That's another way that Paul talks about it. These, these sins have no dominion, no power over us. But it's not the same thing as to say that we never, ever sin. Again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Or that we would need to stop repenting. Uh, and that's something that Wesley also uh, 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 played with a little bit. Uh, he, he wouldn't deny that you, you stop uh, seeking God's forgiveness or that you don't need a mediator anymore. But, you know, his explanations of that are not very very helpful, I don't think. Uh, it raises a question. If you stop sinning, then why do you need to repent? And if you stop sinning, uh, you know, why is there any need for any intercession uh, for our sins? Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? No, notice this, it's a wretched man that I am, not that I was. So did Paul achieve this perfection? Well, Wesley actually, with his group of theologians, asked that question. They, they asked the question, has anybody actually achieved this perfection? And Wesley said, well, John did, because John talks about it. So he, if he's talking about it like this, he must have uh, achieved it. But then they also go on to, to ask, well, you know, how many people have actually achieved this? And they, they kind of come to the conclusion not very many have achieved it. Uh, we would say none before death have ever achieved this. And here's another reason why we would say that. Philippians chapter 3, where Paul talks about not being perfected himself. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, uh, but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, straining, pressing forward for the things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, 
Actually, uh, he, he in other translations he does use the um, uh, the words uh, uh, the word I've not been perfected yet, and uh, and so we have a lot of passages like this in the New Testament that call us to perpetual growth in our sanctification, and if there is to be a perpetual growth in our sanct- sanctification, then there's no point of arrival short of dying. Uh, when we can say we've, we, we don't have any more reason to grow in our sanctification. Uh, we see the same thing in Colossians 1, increase and abound in love. 1 Thessalonians 4, abound more and more in pleasing God. So this is something that uh, we are as Christians always to be doing, growing and improving, uh, but never reaching in this physical earthly life that point at which we don't have to grow anymore, that we've been perfected. So anyway, um, uh, let's go back then to those four concerns that that I raised at the very beginning. The first one I said was a misunderstanding of what sin is and and a tendency to discount some sins. So it's always easier to arrive at a goal if you lower the, the requirements for that goal. And that's what Wesley did. So Wesley says that he only counts as sins those things that we do intentionally. But anything that we do unintentionally, uh, even though it's a breaking of a commandment, in his mind he doesn't call that a sin. Uh, again, he doesn't provide any, that I recall, any Bible passages to, to say that. In fact, the Bible says just the a- opposite. Uh, you know, David says we need to be forgiven, even. He asks God for, for forgiveness for his, quote, secret sins. And uh, Moses in Psalm 90 says something similar to that as well. So um, we, and this is something that we as Lutherans really, really focus on, and that is is that we believe that we are, we are born uh, sinful and that we, uh, as I said, cannot free ourselves from this sinful condition we are forgiven and we are trans, translated, you might say. Uh, we're brought into the kingdom. We're adopted. We are the children of God. And God gives us uh, his Holy Spirit uh, to fight against temptation and sin and to uh, not let it have any dominion over us anymore. I heard a, uh, a teacher a long time ago explain this to me in this way. He said, you know, imagine a man is, is walking and here's the sun shining down on this man. And of course, his shadow would be back behind him. Uh, this is what it means to be a Christian. You're walking in the light, right? You're walking in the light. Here's the sun, the light, the word of God. Every step you take is in the light. But where is your shadow? Did it disappear? No, it's right behind you. It's at your heels. So our view of our relationship to sin is one of orientation. We are not in it. We're not living in it. We repudiate it. We hate it. We avoid it. And we're constantly being drawn out of it. Only when we get all the way underneath the sun does our shadow go away. And that's our glorification. That is when we die. That's one of the great benefits of death is that we will no longer have to repent. There's no longer any sinning. Uh, everything is completed for us in Christ. Uh, 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 so that we, we should never discount sins and say, well, there's some that, that we don't have to repent of or something like that. Um, the Catholic Church does something similar to this when they 
draw distinctions such as uh, mortal sins that damn you and venial sins that just weaken your relationship with God. Again, we say that all sin, especially any sin uh, that we don't repent of, I don't care what it is, how slight it might be, it's a damnable sin because it's the lack of repentance that is the real problem here. Now, Wesley, in his plain account of Christian perfection, uh, they raise some questions uh, about this that are just show you kind of the problems you get into when you start going down this road. Uh, for example, I already brought up one. Okay, who actually has achieved this state? Uh, again, they all decided not very many. Um, but another odd question that they talked about was this. They discussed the, what would happen if two Christians attained this state of perfection and then they had a baby. <laughs> would the baby be sinless? They decided that this was, very unlike, this was a very unlikely thing to happen. So this is the kind of problems you get into. Again, the first misunderstanding is a misunderstanding of what sin is, starting to divide it up into serious, less serious, uh, sins of which you, you have to repent of or that you can overcome, such as the ones we think of that we do intentionally versus the ones we don't think of that are done unintentionally. All of them, we are accountable for all of them. There's nothing in the Bible that says we're not accountable for our unintentional sins. Um, number two, the second great concern I have for this, is that it can lead us to pursuing good works for the wrong reason. Closely related to all of this would be the uh, doctrine of purgatory. And this is a doctrine that developed in the Catholic Church. The idea here, pur purgatory, uh, and the word purge. And uh, uh, this, is, this is the idea that that, uh, that our good works, as I said from that uh, council, uh, from the Council of Trent, you know, your charity has to, uh, has to be completed. Uh, and so you don't get it all completed in this life. Therefore, that leads to other things um, and the reasons why are we doing these good works. Uh, and can we do good works for other people? Can we pray for them and can our good works be given to them? This is really what kicked off the Reformation with Martin Luther and, and his objection to the idea that, that saints who have a whole bunch of good works, uh, that some of their good works can be transferred to other people to get them out of purgatory if you give a donation uh, to the church and so on. So that, that's a real problem. And, and just in general, even though if you say, well, your sins are forgiven, but you still have to pay off this debt of earthly consequences to your sins. Uh, this leads to a lot of problems. And, uh, you know, again, we're, it blurs the distinction between what it means to be really forgiven and uh, having a firm hope of salvation uh, versus something else. And that leads to the, to the third one, uh, a misunderstanding and, and potential a rejection even of forgiveness and salvation itself. Uh, so, you know, restitution is a part of our earthly relationship. So if, when I was a boy, my, if my father told me, uh, don't play baseball in the backyard, and I disobey obey him, and I break a window, you know, we would have a talk that would go something like this, son, you disobeyed me, are you sorry? 
Yes, Dad, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm very sorry. Okay, my dad would forgive me. And, but then he would, he would most likely have said, Yeah, Mike, I forgive you and I love you. I always will love you. But you know what? You, you need to learn a lesson here and you need to uh, pay for that window. I'm going, to make, I'm going to take it out of your allowance or whatever until, until everything's paid for. That's restitution. Now, that's a normal part of our human relationships. But we have to be careful in thinking that what we do together in our human relationships is the same as what happens in our divine relationship. This is really what lies at the heart of the problems Lutheran ha Lutherans have with medieval theology because medieval theology was a blending of theology and uh, philosophy. And philosophy is a lot about the way we relate together as human beings. And it tends to look at the relationship between a human being and God in terms of our earthly uh, realities, logic, and, and so on. I make restitution when I hurt somebody here on earth. But how in the world can I make restitution to God? Any sin that I have done, any single sin in my life, is so bad that if you think about it, there, there's no way that you could um, make restitution for that. Um, you could say that God forgives us spiritually, that he takes away the guilt of sin and things like that, um, but there are these earthly consequences to it. And, um, and I, I just think that, again, this, this creates nothing but confusion for people, and it always leads people back to thinking that somehow in the formula of salvation, uh, my good works are a factor. And, um, and I, I'm, my biggest concern about that is, is then, what, well, why are you doing these good works? Are you doing them for joy because God saved you? Or are you doing them to finish things off, to complete things? Um, the, those are two different ways of looking at good works. And uh, if you, you're doing them uh, to pay off, that's, that's the law. And uh, that's not the gospel. And that's not something that's... And it's even questionable whether that is in fact a good work. Uh, because good work needs to be done in faith, in sacrifice, in love. Uh, and that's only something that com can come from God. The fourth problem that I want to speak to, and this is one that speaks especially to Lutherans. So some of these others may apply more to uh, Wesleyans and uh, those who follow Catholicism. But this last one, and really I think this is for me, the most important of this whole Bible study is um, that this whole discussion of perfectionism and the rejection of perfectionism, as, as I think it, it absolutely it should be rejected, it's, it's not a biblical teaching. However, it tends to lead us uh, over a waterfall that we do not want to go over. You know, there aren't too many people that are going to call in to a radio station today and say, oh, I've stopped sinning. In fact, uh, probably one out of 100,000 people might say that. But I can guarantee you that 90, uh, you know, 99,000 people uh, would say, uh, you know, that, that God doesn't expect you to be perfect. Um, wait a minute, we just read passages that say he does, expect, he does command us to be perfect. And so what people do to, they overreact to this, this 
false teaching with another false teaching. And that is that you don't need to strive for holiness and you don't need to make holiness and perfection your ultimate goal in this life. Sometimes in our Lutheran church, uh, people scoff at this pursuit of holiness as some pietistic problem. The pietists uh, were people that uh, um, went off the rails in some ways. But there's nothing, it's, it's absolutely biblical that we are supposed to strive for perfection. I wanted to read this uh, quote from Dr. Francis Pieper. He was one of the theologians of our church. And he says, accordingly, we must not say, quote, if the doctrine of sinless perfection is a heresy, the doctrine of contentment with sinful imperfection is a greater heresy. That is to say, some people say, uh, you know, that, uh, um, again, if we, if we don't think perfection's the goal, then, then that's, oh, that's really bad. That's, a, that's an even greater heresy. But this is the way uh, Pieper responds. Both. Both are intolerable heresies which render salvation impossible. So we don't want to go down this, this road of, of thinking we, we have to be perfect in this earthly life or afterlife in purgatory or something like that. Because that, that calls into question the whole point of Jesus' suffering and death and what forgiveness and salvation are all about. At the same time, it's just as bad to say we don't need to strive for perfection. Um, when we have all these Bible passages that urge us to do that and that basically say we strive and finally when we uh, reach uh, the end of our life, we know that in the end it is God that saves, it is God that, that through his son Jesus Christ that delivers us from our sins. And that striving is the key. And, and we do it not because we think, oh, we've got to do this, or I, you know, I might not go to heaven, or I might go to purgatory, or something like that. Um, we do it for better reasons, better reasons. We do it out of thankfulness. We've been saved. We have been forgiven. Uh, this is exactly the way Paul explains it in, in Romans chap chapter 6. How shall we continue in sin? Uh, basically says, we, we have been baptized into the death of Christ, and as he was raised from the dead by the glory of, fa of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So this is our goal, and this is, uh, this is something we must always strive for. But we strive for it in the right way and for the right reasons, and we know that our perfection is Christ's perfection. We know that our the perfection that God demands of us is a perfection that he gives to us in Christ. And that doesn't mean we can relax and stop striving for our own earthly uh, perfection in this life, but all the more to pursue it eagerly. And so that's, uh, that's the Bible study for this week. I hope if you uh, have any questions about anything I've said here, send it to me in the comments and I will check those and I'll be glad to respond back. Uh, to any, any, any questions that you might have. Let me close with a prayer. Oh Lord, forgive us of our sins. We know how often we fall short of your glory. We also remember the words of Paul that, that Jesus came uh, to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
So if Paul is a chief of sinners, so are we all chief of sinners. And we pray that you would uh, continue to strengthen our faith and give us this great confidence that Christ has given us the forgiveness of sins. But out of that forgiveness, also inspire in our hearts by your grace a love for you and a love for one another and a desire for holiness and perfection and never settle for anything less than that. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.